Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Hey everyone, this is part two of our discussion about Charles Matthews' Washington Post article called White Christianity is in Big Trouble and It's Its Own Biggest Threat. If you haven't already, please check back to episode 40 to listen to part one. But in this episode, we continue on in his article and consider gun control, immigration, the death penalty, and treatment of the poor in an effort to understand and respond to evangelicalism's ongoing public relations problem. Are white evangelicals, as Matthews puts it, quote, a breathtakingly cruel bunch, end quote? Here now is our discussion. Offscript episode 41, Guns, Immigrants, and White Evangelicals. Last time we looked at a number of criticisms against white evangelicals from Charles Matthews' article from the Washington Post, White Christianity is in Big Trouble and it's its own biggest threat. I wanted to just start out by mentioning that Matthews is a professor of religious studies at the University of Virginia, and so he is coming from an expert Christian perspective, which is which is interesting because he's not, he's not just like another journalist or something. I mean, he's allegedly an insider here who you know has a professorship at one of America's most prestigious universities. Now, I don't know what what sort of work he does at the university, but I'm I'm guessing it has something to do with Christianity and culture because that's the topic he's writing on here. And uh last time what we did is we we responded to a number of these criticisms and kind of took Matthews to task on his strategy and style. What, the, what, I, like, what I like to do this time is, is instead of focusing on on that so much is, is really look at the remaining six issues that he raised that we haven't yet gotten to, see if they stand up to scrutiny. And I want to recognize that there are a number of points that he makes here that are valid, I think. So let's see what you guys think. Number one up on the list here, he says, we, like guns but not immigrants. Do you think that's true? And if it is true, I mean, is that a biblical position? Uh, I think if we're talking about conservatives, then yeah, I mean, guns is a very, is an issue that's very close to their heart, gun rights and yeah, guns and conservatives, there's a heavy crossover with big fans of firearms and and So what's, what's the deal with that? I think conservatives have a tendency to conflate biblical values with uh, guns and violence and what happens if, is if you're a conservative you have conservative values and one of those values is guns another one of those values is going to church on sunday and when you lump those two things together and like you know other characteristics of conservatives like anti-abortion or same-sex marriage issues it, it's all sort of gets lumped into the conservative position and guns is a part of that so when you look at white evangelicals is a demographic it's pro-gun anti-abortion white evangelicals gets tied to the bible and there's just you really have to i think from a critical point of view sort of parse that out what what does the bible say how we're supposed to treat our fellow man because the sentence that you reference it was we like guns and not immigrants immigrants yeah so you can you know be pro-gun rights and pro whatever up to a point but you also have to 
really read the Bible and see how what it says about these other areas like like immigrants like the the Good Samaritan like records like that you really sort of you can't just say oh I'm a white evangelical and I like guns and you know that's the end of it you gotta really see how the Bible lines up with your worldview and conform your worldview to what the word says and he actually makes that point in his um in the article and in, in one of the passages that I thought was uh was rather good he says um perhaps most importantly white Christians seem unwilling to be guided by the plain truth of our shared faith Instead of forming judgments about how to live our lives based on how our religious convictions interact with real-life circumstances, we pass off irascible reactions as theological principles. So let's sort of get into this idea of conflating in a, in a sort of general sense. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm also pro-gun, and I'm anti-abortion, and you're sort of mixing all these beliefs into this pop. But like, really, what, is, what, are those, what do each of those stances really mean? What does the Bible say about, about those stances? Well, I'll just leave it at that. So in our last episode, we talked about how Matthew sort of um, picks a few cases to show hypocrisy or to show um, this entire block of people being inconsistent. But in this case, he really does, in talking about um, white evangelical Christian stance on gun control and immigrants, he does have the stats to back it up. In quoting from the Public Religion Research Institute, also known as PRRI, he cites that of all of a variety of demographics, white evangelical Protestants stand out as the group least likely to support stricter gun control laws, with 38% being in favor and 59% opposing. So by far, most white evangelical Protestants oppose stricter gun control laws. Likewise, 53% were concerned that immigrants would have a cultural impact on us that would threaten, quote-unquote, traditional American customs and values. So the majority um, of people in this demographic, white evangelical Protestants, are opposed to stricter gun control and then also really opposed to letting in immigrants to the extent that um, their presence would threaten our traditional American customs and values. So he does have stats to back up these facts. I, I was kind of interested in what Rose is saying about the numbers, though, because... If it's 59% oppose stricter gun laws and then 38% in favor of it, I mean, this is not, I mean, obviously it's a majority, but it's not like overwhelming. You know, it's a 10% differential. So let's talk about gun, gun control and this whole idea. What is driving this is not something biblical, at least that I'm aware of. If you believe that you should be able to have a gun then you probably believe that because you are concerned that the government could start persecuting you or that uh, another revolution might have to occur, like Thomas Jefferson famously said when he was hanging out with the French during the French Revolution. He's like, yeah, I think a country needs to have a revolution every so many years. Well, so they, like, I think that's got to be a lot to do with it. Some of it maybe is uh, well, they safety fall back concerns. to the Constitution. It says... You know, a, a well-equipped militia. Right. The idea being that, I mean, that's there. But that's not biblical. That's, right. Exactly, and that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the conflation that I'm talking about. Like, I think, from a white evangelical point of view, that idea of you know the right to bear arms gets conflated with other traditional Christian values, mm-hmm. and that's I guess that's my point is that you really have to, as a white evangelical, you really need to like sort of parse that out. Like, what's the difference? Like, you can have your political opinion based on something that's in the Constitution. The Constitution is a great document. 
you have to keep that separate from your from your biblical beliefs in your mind. Right. You can't you can't mix the two because I think you run into the very issue that Matthews is talking about here, where you can have these sort of extreme positions that don't really line up with what the Bible says in some cases. Yeah. The very uh, name white Christianity shows you know it's a mixture of religious beliefs and cultural values, mm-hmm. and that is where conflation happens where they get rolled into one and then we especially if it's something that we've grown up in an environment where we've grown up um, it becomes difficult to distinguish what has biblical authority and what is a cultural value right well said i do recognize that there is biblical precedent for the use of violence and use of weapons especially in the old testament however as we said in uh, off script episode 38 Jesus changed these things. So if you want to go back and, and listen to a whole episode about the use of violence by Christians and whether or not it's permitted, uh, please check out Offscript episode 38, Killing and War, where not only do we cover all the relevant scriptures in the New Testament, but also in the show notes, we have extensive quotes by a whole range of Christian authors from the first three centuries after the Bible was written. And they all... Are, are talking about loving their enemies as well. Now, there is one statement that Jesus makes about a weapon. Of course, they don't have guns back then, but there is this incident in Luke chapter 22, which I we did not cover in the other episode, where Jesus says, this is Luke twenty-two thirty-five, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has his fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And uh, so this is a really interesting little incident that happened right before Jesus got arrested. And... One of these swords was used by one of the disciples, by Peter, to cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus said, those who live by sword, he says, put up your sword, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. So people have sometimes pointed to this verse, this is Luke twenty-two thirty-six, where Jesus says, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, as justification that Jesus is pro-weapons, which in our culture today would be pro-guns. Now, That's only if you don't read the next verse and if you take this whole thing out of context. Because in the next verse, the very next verse, he says, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is saying, I need one of you guys to carry a sword so so we can fulfill this prophecy of me being with sinners. (laughs) And then that prophecy is actually fulfilled when Peter goes and, and does what he does with the sword, and Jesus says, put it away. So this is no justification for gun violence here, as far as I can tell. And like this statement Jesus makes in verse 38, when they say, oh, look here, there are two swords. He said to them, it is enough. According to Ben Witherington III, this is a statement of repugnance, Hmm. where Jesus is like, that's enough. Like he's upset that there are swords there, and this is enough of this, and then let's let's go do this thing. In other words, like his teaching hasn't sunk in all the way, and that's enough of that and now let's go. So it certainly isn't the case that two swords are enough to take down the soldiers that were sent to arrest Jesus. Mm. Nobody could take it that way. But anyhow, if you're if you're uh, curious about this, check it out for yourself. It's Luke 22. 
It's the only text I could think of that could weigh in on on the uh, the endorsement of carrying a weapon. But uh, once again, check out episode 38 if you want to see all the texts that teach us, where Jesus teaches us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. And then, of course, Jesus' own example. However, that's not really what this issue is all about. This issue is about what do white evangelicals think. And, you know, hey, it could be that the church is off track on this subject. I would, I would agree with that statement. And we've been on tra- off track on other subjects. In other words, what I mean by off track is like, the church is holding to a view yeah. that Jesus didn't teach. And that and that could be something that's just like a, a side issue that didn't come up. So it's like it could be one way or another. Or it could be that we're holding it in opposition to Jesus. And yet, even so, 40%. I mean, it's a 60-40 split. So, I mean, it's not that drastic. 40% of white evangelicals are for stricter gun control. Just going back to the whole idea of, of lining up your sort of whatever your cultural or historical or conservative beliefs are and what it says in the Bible. I mean, our allegiance is to God and to Christ's coming kingdom. It's not to the United States of America. I think you can be a proud American, but that has to be secondary to your relationship with God. And it says that our citizenship is is in heaven. It's not on this earth. And that to me means that, you know, it's great that we have a constitution and it's this founding document, but it really should be suborned to to what the Bible says about. And that can be a hard thing if you grew up around guns and you grew up like very pro- separating those beliefs. It, it can be difficult. I'm not surprised that there's this sort of blurring of the line between conservative values and, and what the Bible actually says. But if you're going to take your faith seriously and explore these things, it's it's something that you have to buckle down on and, and study. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you're not in agreement with how I understand Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to love your enemies, and you believe in violent self-defense and that you can take a life if your life is in danger, those you love are in danger, then being against gun restrictions is perfectly logical. I mean, you want to be able to defend yourself. You want to be able to protect yourself against an intruder or against the government or against whatever might happen, whatever kind of crime or, or, or situation might arise. So for me, it's an exegetical issue. It's, a, it's an interpretation issue of the Bible. It's not so much a cultural issue, but uh, I, I guess I'm in the minority here on this one. Well, I'm from a redneck family. <laughs> so um, there's one other whole use of guns which you guys haven't gotten to, and that is recreational and sportsman purposes. Right. That's a huge part of this demographic. I mean, we know about, think about Bible Belt, small town USA. These are the people um, that are in church on Sunday and they're out hunting on Saturday. Um, so that is another huge part of um this group of people. I also um, support um, the right to bear arms, but I also believe we should have stricter gun control. What has happened is totally unacceptable um, recently, and the kind of weapons people have been able to get their hands on um, is dangerous in this country. I also believe it is of primary importance to love our neighbor as ourselves. But I think the really shocking part of this statement is that we, it seems that um, white evangelical Christians seem to like guns more than we like immigrants. Even if your gun is purely like a recreational thing, that is where, and maybe you're just an outdoorsman, but that is where we seem to have gotten following Jesus wrong. Right. Well, I think that's his rhetorical effect. I don't think it's at all a true statement. And there's no survey that compares, like, select stricter gun control laws or 
do you like immigrants? You know, like it's just, it's, I think it's a false comparison. The, the statement seems to be constructed in, in a false manner. I mean, it is, it is the case that a lot of folks in America, not just white evangelicals, are against against increased immigration because of concerns about jobs, because of concerns about terrorists entering in. We've also done an episode on this subject, and that would be off script episode 28, Seeking a Christian View of Refugees and Immigrants, where we talk about this issue. But um, so number one was we like guns and we don't especially like immigrants. Number two is we're excited about the death penalty. I don't like the way he worded that. We're excited well, about the death penalty. Like says, somebody gets killed and we're yeah, like, that's Yay, loaded language. The, the text says compared to other demographics, we're excited about the death penalty. So he's sort of comparing white evangelical to. Right. Then he says, but we're indifferent to those who are impoverished or infirm and blind to racial and gender inequalities. Do you think this is all true? Whether or not it's true, what is the biblical position on these? This is actually very difficult because each one of these issues, except for racial and gender inequalities, I think that's pretty cut and dry. But like these other ones, whether we're talking about the death penalty or uh, caring for the poor and the sick, well, that was pretty easy too. But like the death penalty one, I will definitely say that takes a lot of thought. I mean, it's not like a stock Christian position on it. Uh, th there's not. So we actually have done, once again, we have done an entire episode <laughs> on the death penalty. Offscript episode 37, Killing Criminals, A Christian View of Capital Punishment. And in that episode, what we said was that the government does have the right to kill people, but the system is so fraught with uncertainty where you have innocent people getting killed from time to time that... It's not a viable option right now. So, you know, we recognize that God's given the government the sword to punish evildoers, just like it says in Romans 13. But we also recognize that the system is broken. So either fix the system or don't use the system because we have alternatives like life, lifelong incarceration. But what was the stat on that, Rose, for capital punishment? Uh, so once again, uh, white evangelical Protestants are like way off the bell curve, way at one end of the chart. So 59% of white evangelical Protestants are in favor of the death penalty, by far the highest and how, of and all then, the other. And then the rest are against it? So um, well, just 41% are against oh, it? Oh, the other percentages preferred life in prison, other or didn't know or, or refused to answer. Okay, so that's a, that's a strong 59 then. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, that with this one, I, I don't know what I would say. I recognize the government does have that authority, but at the same time, if, if, if until I had like looked into this and uh, Dan had brought some facts up and we looked at some websites that catalog uh, people that have been killed, even though they were found later to be mm -hmm. innocent, you know, that, that information is not as well known, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I do think he's sort of glib in this passage where he's sort of Number one, he overgeneralizes, but number two, he <clears throat> he takes issues that, as you said, Sean, bear some you know serious critical thinking about, and sort of presupposes a Christian uh, point of view on them, and says, you know, oh, we're excited about the death penalty. We're we're a very cruel bunch. He says, it's sort of smug mm -hmm. and a little glib, and it, it and it's surprising because he's coming from a Christian perspective. You would think that he would take a little bit more care with how he is describing his peers yeah he does have some legitimate points here yeah. because his points are based on 
surveys and statistics, not his own immediate experience of Christianity in the Virginia area, for example. Right, but being in favor of the death penalty does not equate to being excited about the death penalty. It's right. the language that he uses that's yeah. off-putting. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we can agree on that. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so what about being indifferent to those who are impoverished or infirm and being blind to racial and gender inequalities? He cited, uh, it's a hyperlink, the word indifferent, and it goes back to another Washington Post article that there's a poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation that found white evangelicals are more likely to think that poverty is a result of um, laziness and a lack of effort, uh, which is rooted in you know biblical thinking. So that was the evidence that he used for that. 46% of all Christians said that a lack of effort is generally to blame for a person's poverty compared to 29% of all non-Christians. So Christians are more likely to say that poverty is your own fault rather than it's a result of diminished opportunities or other factors that have happened to you. However, there are an astounding number of Christian organizations, not only in America, mm -hmm. not only in the 21st century, but throughout time since Jesus began uh, his teaching on this subject and taught us about, for example, the prophecy of the sheep and the goats, how those who fed the hungry have done it unto Jesus and so on. I mean, you look at the hospitals in this country, so many of them are associated with some sort of religious name or were when they were started. Furthermore, so many aid organizations, take for example, World Vision or Compassion International, or even our own little group here, Living Hope International Ministries, we, we, are, we are very much involved in helping people who are impoverished and in need, in need of assistance. Salvation Army. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're right, the Salvation Army. I mean, it is just absolutely false to think that Christians don't care about the poor. I mean, right. it's just like, then I he, mean, maybe there are some that don't care about the poor and they need to repent of that, but I feel like... There is a huge track record of caring for the poor, right. and, and, and he it, sort of just hand waves that, which is a yeah. little, yeah. And there, are, and I'm not. I realize a lot of this stuff is Catholic, uh, and Catholics have really done mm -hmm. a lot of great work in this area. But there are a lot of evangelical groups too. I think World Vision tends to be more evangelical. Compassion does, and then also um, uh, there are other Baptist organizations. I was listening to this one Baptist guy, and he was talking about this refugee ministry that he has where he's he's very and, they, and they, they're doing like I don't, I don't remember the number but it was just like tons of money bringing it over giving these people bibles giving them clean water giving them food and not pushing the bible on them either just like giving it to them so that if they want to read it they have it in their language and they know that like this is what's motivating our love and our kindness for you it's 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 in this book here and it's just like the new testament or whatever but I don't know. I, I feel like this one is just like way off base. I mean, this could be the case. You know, I, his his data is probably legit here, you know, but at the same time, he's overlooking all the other things that Christians are doing in the name of Christ for the impoverished. And, you know, if we want to get back to uh, the subject of inc the incarcerated, I mean, it was Chuck Colson that, that got involved and changed the prisons around America mm -hmm. and then in other places of the world because he was involved in Watergate and he got sent to prison and then he became an evangelical Christian in a white evangelical Christian while he was in prison and he got out and he's like prison is just it's deplorable the conditions 
of prison. And he worked tirelessly to reform. So, you know, he, here's a white evangelical at the head of reform, prison reform. Furthermore, there is a ton of Christian activity in prisons mm. around this country. I mean, I, I don't have a stat in front of me, but I know lots of people that are involved in going to prisons on a regular basis, running Bible studies, making sure that the, the people in there have, have what they need. You know, um, we, we, our ministry here over the years, since I've been involved 12, 13 years, I, we, we have repeatedly found uh, ways to get materials into prisons. And there are all, all these rules and it's difficult, but like you get like the right kind of uh, tape player or CD player, depending on what decade we're in when we're, talking, when we're doing this. And you, and you get it in there and you send materials and, and, you, and you work with people. So that's, again, you know, just looking at one side of the equation. And bottom line for me, someone's public policy position is not a good indicator of what kind of person they are or how they have reasoned themselves to get to that point of view. Because you may take a public policy position, like, for example, a lot of Christians would, would say they would not be against gay marriage. However, they think that, that people who have a gay marriage are sinning but they wouldn't be against gay marriage as available in the law of the land, okay? So if you, want to, if you want to do a survey on all those folks and say, oh, they're all pro-gay marriage. No, they're not. They're just against making it illegal because they don't think they should foist their Christian morals on somebody else that doesn't accept Christ. So that's what I'm saying. Like This whole business of reasoning backwards from public policy positions to judging somebody as, be, as being excited about people getting executed, mm. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the tail wagging the dog. And it all culminates in, the, in what he writes, for believers in a religion whose scriptures teach compassion, we're a breathtakingly cruel bunch. There's just a lot of loose and offensive language in here. And the problem is that if you're reading this article and you're against organized religion or you're against or you're an atheist it's it's confirming all of these stereotypes it, yeah. it's not moving the ball forward it's it's pushing it back yeah he's painting with incredibly um broad strokes he's turning white christianity into sort of a monolith and uh i mean it's very uh clumsy and forceful blow that he's taking no question and then also not you know if he was wanting to speak to people in the church not a good way to do it i still do think when i read this he's talking to the culture that i'm from and he's not talking to them in a respectful way but i think the culture that i'm from should consider some of these things and should take them to heart and should analyze the values that they have derived from the scripture versus the values that have been passed down um, from generation to generation and try to make sure that above all else, we are authentic servants of Christ and that following him is far above any sort of patriotic or cultural values that we hold. Well, as I recall, Rose, when you first started coming here to Living Hope, you were very much a church hopper and you were checking out a lot of the local scene, right? Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this, because you, you probably have been to more churches in this local area here and then back home and then also in college, which you went to college in mm -hmm. Virginia, right? Yeah. So you have been around a lot of different Christian groups, like which we could call white. I still, that term drives me nuts because it's like, what about black people? Why, why is it white evangelical? Like that just doesn't. And how do you differentiate in this poll? Right, right. So like, mm -hmm. okay, you're going to do this poll in my congregation here and you're going to say, okay, none of the black people fill it out. It's no, like, they pull individuals. That's how they know. I don't know. It's just, I know, but it, like the reality is this isn't 
the Jim Crow age, like what? Well, maybe it is in other places. I don't know. It still just drives. It makes it. It raises my ire. Anyhow, my my question to you, Rose, is: Would you characterize the various groups that you've been among as cruel? Is that something that has stuck out to you? No, certainly, certainly not. But I do think if you step back and you do look what at... about breathtakingly cruel? No, certainly not. Certainly not, but some of these things can certainly be positioned that way. The things that you do favor and the things that you disapprove of can paint a picture of you to potentially be passively cruel. I have certainly met those people, you know, very conservative, Republican. I'm from a Baptist background, and there can be cruelty under the surface. I know when I heard white Christianity, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And again, it's very blunt and it's, it's, it's rude. Um, sometimes the way he speaks, there is certainly um, a crowd that, that should consider some of these, these allegations. And again, make sure that we're not motivated by fear, but what the Bible actually says and by actually following Christ the best we can. Oh, man. I, t- I tell you, though, Rose, uh, I hear what you're saying and... I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, there can be this like passive lack of concern from a distance where you're out in the country and, you know, the city folk are all up in arms and they're marching and they're doing this and that. And you're like, uh, forget all those people. You know, they're they're just lost in, in like a negative sense. I will say this, though, having having encountered many Christians across this land and in other countries, obviously, I'm completely biased just go ahead and say that right now as a, as a pastor, obviously. But uh, I love Christian hospitality. I mm-hmm. love Christian fellowship. I love the people who bear the name of Christ. And I have found that over and over, the robust Bible-believing types, the kind that believe in miracles and an actual resurrection and everything that we read about, these people are some of the kindest most generous people that I've ever met, okay? So to turn them around and say because of their public policy opinion, they're cruel, to me I feel like is not true to my experience. But of course my experience is very limited, you know? And uh, it, it's but, also a shame because he does make, when we've talked about this, he does make some, some good points and some that I agree with. He says that a lot of uh, white evangelical positions are governed out of fear. And we talked about this, you know, mm-hmm. fear that... Immigrants are stealing jobs, fear that the government's going to take away guns. So I do like the point that he makes later on in the article. He says there are many factors, historical, social, and political, that have helped shape white American Christianity into what it is today. But when it comes to keeping us away from the core truths of our faith, I suspect this one error is key. Christians today seem governed by fear. Theologians, as well as psychologists, will tell you that there is a spiritual peril in acting out of fear and a sense of danger. Fear drives us into patterns of reasoning that are far from reasonable, but more akin to reactionary patterns of cause and effect. And fear moves us away from the core of Christianity, love. And then he quotes the scripture here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. I do agree with his broader point that a lot of the, you know, the monolith of the church of white evangelical Christians, their, their positions do seem to come out of uh, a place of fear and especially some of those positions that are viewed from the outside as being very sort of unloving 
And I do think that as a whole, when we said this at the top, I mean, you really have to examine some of your beliefs and see how they line up with the Bible and see if you're, if you're making political decisions or you have political beliefs that are based on, on fear as opposed to the teachings of Jesus and love and the simple truth that we're called on as Christians, white, black, evangelical, Protestant, whatever, what have you, to love our fellow man. And how does that simple core truth line up with your political beliefs and is your political belief coming from a place of fear? I mean, I think that's a fair question to ask and one that uh, you might do well to, you know, examine your sort of political landscape in your heart and, and see how it jives with the teachings of Christ. Also, I think we want to be careful not to judge like this article does. We don't, we don't want to fall into that. We don't want to say, oh, this mm-hmm. guy voted for Trump, so therefore he's a blank. Or she yeah. voted for Hillary, therefore she's a blank. And uh, mix it, making that leap from somebody's particular political engagement and what kind of a person they are. Right. There are two sides of many issues for a reason. And I think being willing to listen to the other side is really the biggest way forward for all of us. Because instead, what we do is we surround ourselves with people that are in our camp, and then we rally around certain uh, issues and certain facts. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet, and this is, you know, obviously just my point of view from where I sit right now, that the politics of Jesus, to use that phrase from John Howard Yoder, the politics of Jesus are not going to line up on the left or the right mm-hmm. when we superimpose them on the 21st century American context. Okay, there are going to be some issues that are going to be on the left. There are going to be some issues that are going to be on the right. There are going to be some issues that are just like not even considered political today. But yet in another hundred years, maybe will be considered political. Okay, so I think if you're 100 percent on the left or 100 percent on the right, 100 percent Democrat, 100 percent Republican, I would even say that that right there would be a warning that I mean, what, what are the chances that 20 centuries later, in America, we would accidentally end up with the exact values of Jesus on one political, you know, I mean, it's just party. like, come on. Yeah, one party um, lining up that exactly. one party, yeah, would, would just like pick, pick all the same, you know, neither party is claiming to have done this for the record. It's not like the Republicans are like, hey, we just read the Sermon on the Mount and that's where we're at. They're not, they don't talk like that. <laughs> so what we want to do is... First of all, like you said, Dan, have our allegiance be to Jesus first and the kingdom of God because that supersedes the even the national allegiance we have. And then I think it's good to have, like you said, national allegiance, citizenship, and all that. But then when it comes to political parties, uh, I think we have to be very careful, you know. And if you want, to, you want to vote for in the in the primaries, whatever, you know, more power to you. If you want to, if you want to vote for a particular candidate, local or or uh, national elections. You know, do your homework and then and do it. You know, we, we discussed this in a previous Offscript episode as well, discussing politics. But I think we do need to examine ourselves. And uh, so even though Matthews is very hard to digest because he, he's just too spicy. You know, he's mm-hmm. like... He doesn't take enough care and he's talking about his own people. Yeah, that it's, it, it's insulting. He could have he done this in a more effective way. And he doesn't... And, it's not even like a prophet. Like a prophet yeah. is going to go up one side and down the other and you're not going to feel good when he's done. But at least it's not glib or 
using like rhetorical tricks yeah. to lump in one group with another right. or put the whole, which is a shame because it really does detract from his, his better points. Right. And there are some yeah. good points in there. Right. right. And he wrote the article to be read, not to build the body of Christ. Like that's obvious. Yeah. He did it for readership and you know, it's a style that people like to read, but I, I do think that he did a huge disservice. I think we, you know, this is um, potentially only adding to the PR problem that we face. Right. He's sort of shooting himself and his, uh, and his peers in the foot with this, with this article. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is exactly our point that sometimes you might want to just turn this kind of an article off mm-hmm. and not read it because, oh, here's another bashing leftist Christians, uh, yeah. critical position, just bashing right wing Christians or whatever, however you conceive of that and not read it. And it's like, well, hey, we do need to read this. For two reasons. One, he might be right on some of these issues, as we've said. And two, we need to know what people think about Christianity who aren't Christians, because guess what? Our whole mission that Jesus gave us is to reach these people. Mm -hmm. And if we have no compassion, no understanding of where they're coming from, how in the world are we going to reach them? We're going to tell them, be just like me. And that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to fly. And that's not what Jesus did either. You know, it's, it's, it's not about the particular Anglo culture or black culture or whatever point of view you're coming from culture. It's, it's about the teachings of Jesus, and those are transcultural. So it is good that, to engage with this material uh, from time to time. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. We hope you've enjoyed um, hearing us discuss and um, take apart this article and and the heavy criticism that's been there, and then also um, the critique that maybe some of us should take to heart. We're very excited to come back next time and respond to some of your questions that you have sent in to us over the past few months. So thank you so much, guys. We'll see you later. Well, thanks for tuning in. We're going to wrap it up here. We don't want to beat this thing to death, but these are all very important subjects for consideration and response. And... I encourage you to check out previous Offscript episodes where we dealt with a number of these key social issues at some depth, including episode 38, Killing in War, where we talk about guns and violence and Christian view of violence, Offscript 28, Seeking a Christian View on Refugees and Immigrants, uh, number 37, Killing Criminals, where we talked about capital punishment, and then Offscript 16, where we talked about discussing politics. So... Take a look at those if you haven't already listened to them. And just like everything else we do on Offscript, hey, we're just trying to figure this out. We're not saying that we have the definitive explanation for everything. Obviously, we think we know what we're talking about, but we'd really benefit from your voice helping us to see other perspectives as well. I mean, we're committed to the Bible as an authority, but at the same time, we recognize there are varying interpretations. Uh, We want to be as close to the breath of Jesus as we possibly can in his own historical context. So please write in if you have a differing point of view on these things, especially if you're coming from a Christian perspective or from whatever perspective. Just go visit restitutio.org, restitutio.org, like restitution with no N, and find Offscript episode 41, Guns, Immigrants, and White Evangelicals, and you can leave a comment there. Also, we're hoping to get to a number of your previous comments in a I'm not sure when exactly we'll be able to put that out. might be a couple of weeks. We are planning on dealing with a number of questions and comments that you 
uh, the Rest Studio community have made, and I appreciate that. We'll see you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.